when it happened and I found out that I was positive, it just felt absurd. I just couldn't keep that a secret. It was more like, can you believe this? I can't believe this. Like, I can't believe this happened to me. Like, this is like the one thing that I thought would never happen to me, and it did. Jennifer Wan was diagnosed with HIV and later with AIDS when she was 45. She has never expected to hear this diagnosis. Today, Jennifer takes every extra moment she has to continue fighting against the spread of this virus and stigma around it. Hello, thank you for tuning in to the I Bounce Back podcast. This is your host, Indre, and today I'm excited to release the 10th episode, One Thing That I Thought Would Never Happen To Me. For the next 30 or so minutes, listen to an incredible Jennifer story and her efforts to raise awareness about HIV. Of course, HIV is something that I never thought would reach me. And truly, it is very rare for women to get this. This isn't something that's very common. Um, It's actually considered rare in general. HIV is considered rare. If you look it up and you Google it, it says rare. Um, So for a woman to get it, it's even more rare because of the transmission and how uncommon it is for um, it to go from male or female to male. So really, women don't really transmit to men. It's very uncommon. So Typically, women get this from high-risk males who have had sex with other men or who have shared needles for drugs. And so I um, was with somebody who fell into that category and very um, naively didn't think that this would reach me, but it did. And so um, when it happened and I found out that I was positive, it just felt absurd because I really never, you know, it's not like I know people that have this. I don't know anyone. There's no friends. There's no family. There's no classmates. There's no other women that I know that have this. So it felt absurd. That's the word I always use. And so um, to speak about it, it was just, it's kind of who I am that I wouldn't keep. I, I just couldn't keep that a secret. It was more like, can you believe this? I can't believe this. Like, I can't believe this happened to me. Like, this is like the one thing that I thought would never happen to me. And it did. And so that was sort of how it started. And I had told too many people right off the bat because when I was diagnosed with HIV, the AIDS diagnosis came a week later because it just was based on my blood work. We didn't know at the time that I had um, AIDS when they diagnosed me with HIV. But when the blood work came back, it was you know clarified that my uh, CD4 count or my immune system was at such a low level that I was in the category of AIDS. Um, meaning I was more susceptible to opportunist, opportunistic infections. And um, and then, of course, I did end up having pneumonia. So um, all of it just happened so quickly that it was just like I couldn't believe it. And so I started speaking about it almost really in a way like I didn't really think of the consequences. Honestly, it was more like I was in the moment and just felt like I needed to tell people what had happened because I couldn't believe it myself. Mm-hmm. And so that's really how it all started. And you know, once you get to a point where you've told enough people, you realize that you can't go back and undo that. (laughs) So that Mm -hmm. just is, that's how it started. And can you remember the day when you were diagnosed with HIV? Did you have any suspicions or did the symptoms last for quite some time and you thought like you needed to be tested for this virus? Well, I was getting sick for about two months prior to my diagnosis. Um, I had been having 
flu-like symptoms, kind of just achy, really achy every day. It was very hard to go to work and function every day. And uh, I'd been to the doctor several times. They just kept thinking it was a virus and that it would go away. Um, they really hadn't tested me for much, uh, but I was I was losing my appetite and I was having night sweats. And then once the fever started, then it was really like, there's something really wrong here. Something's wrong. I'm having fevers now. And this is like three weeks into this or you know, a month or something, just the the symptoms kept getting gradually worse. So finally, the doctor's office that I went to sent me to a more, um, uh, sent me to an infectious disease doctor and they, they, because they just were out of, they didn't know, they didn't know what was wrong. They had done blood work, but they didn't test me for HIV and my, some of this, my blood looked abnormal. I mean, it almost looked like I had diabetes and um, so things looked off, but they, they just couldn't figure it out. And basically because I didn't fit the profile, you know, that's the way doctors are trained. They're not trained to look for the zebras. And I was a zebra in the crowd for sure. And so, I mean, I was a mom with three little kids. They didn't look at me and think, oh, this lady must have HIV. So they didn't think of testing me for it. And um, so they sent me to an infectious disease doctor. He tested me for everything. And he said, of course, he has to ask, may I test you for HIV also? And I said, you know, of course. But in my mind, at that time, I had been surfing, and it was winter, and the ocean gets churned up with, like, you know, when it's stormy, the water might not be as clean, and I thought for sure that I had some kind of parasite that I'd swallowed from the ocean, and I thought, that is what's in me. They're going to do these, uh, they'll, they'll put the, uh, you know, my blood in a Petri dish, and in three or four days, they'll figure out what kind of parasite it is. They'll give me an antibiotic, and I'll be fine, and so even though he asked to test me for HIV, that went in one ear and out the other, I didn't even cross my mind at all. And I mean, I was even thinking cancer or lupus or meningitis. There was all these other things that came to mind, not HIV. So um, I went home that night and I confirmed with him, please, if you find out anything for my blood work, call me and let me know. And so about three hours later was when the call came in and he said, I, I really don't know how to tell you this, but you've tested positive for HIV. And um, and like in that moment, I always explain it that it just felt like the life I always knew was gone. Like it was just like this drastic shock that you just everything went black. It was like I couldn't believe what I was hearing. And um, it was just absolute shock, just blackness and, and scary. How you were dealing with this diagnosis, because at the time you were a single mom and even though the medicine has advanced tremendously i think that a lot of people are still not aware of it and and they have this huge fear of getting hiv or aids um well i of course my first thought is is that i'm gonna die like i'm obviously really really sick as it is i'm i'm gonna go downhill from here and i'm probably gonna die so like all of these thoughts just hit me at once um my current boyfriend at the time who I'm now married to, but he was sitting there with his, like, what, what are they telling you? And I just, I'm thinking, how do I, we'd been together for one year. Um, and I will say right off, he did not give it to me and he does not have it. He didn't get it from me. So that's just, it proves how difficult it is for women to get with, get it from a, from men to get it from a woman. But anyways, he was sitting there and just like, what did they say? And I remember looking at him thinking, wow, I'm going to tell him this, what they just told me. And he's, he's going to be gone because I can't imagine that. Why would anybody stay with somebody if they find out their partner has HIV? Um, thankfully he didn't, but he, it was, a, you know, it was a, it was a prog it was a progressive thing to get through it for sure. But yeah, that, that so I thought I was going to die. Um, 
we started looking up. I mean, that doctor didn't give me much information over the phone. He just said, I'm going to have you see another one of my specialists tomorrow. And he knows more about the virus and he can give you more information. So when I got off the phone with that doctor, I was left with really nothing. And I remember looking, my daughter looked on the internet. She was 15 at the time and said, mom, it doesn't look like people don't die from this today. Like there's medicine available. So I didn't know that at the time. I really didn't. I had no idea what the future held, how much this medication was going to cost. Is it going to drastically affect everything in my life in that way? Um, will I lose my job? You know, like, are, will I be allowed to work? You know, um, all of these things are hitting me all at once. And it, I was already really sick as it was. So it was like, it was a, a mentally trying moment to have your physical being be so sick and then to have all of this you know, information bombarded into your brain at once. It's, it was really a horrific um, moment in my life. And I just remember just feeling absolutely helpless. You know, it was like that moment where no one can help you right now, not even your mom. You know, it's like, you're just, you're in the middle of this and it really can't get anywhere. So it was uh, probably the lowest moment. I did end up having pneumonia and they, they have to kind of wait to put you on the HIV treatment until your opportunistic infections are cleared up, which mine was pneumonia. So I took antibiotics for, um, it turned out to be about two months that I had to take them, but I was better within three weeks. And so like from the time I was diagnosed, I was surfing five weeks later. If that lets you know how much better I was, I was fine. And so, but with being undetectable, they say, you know, it takes about six months to become undetectable. I was undetectable within probably two months. Um, and that means that my viral load was so low that the, you know, this, when they go to check for it, they either can't find it or it's in such a small amount that it's, it's, um, it's considered undetectable. So um, at the moment when they check my blood, they actually, it says it's not detected. They can't even find it. So it's still there. It's hidden, but it's just in such a low amount that the, the um, labs can't find it at all. But I, yeah, I felt fine. Um, it's uh, interesting. I know people that have CD4 counts that are under 200, and that's where they basically say you're at an AIDS level when you're under 200, and they're living and functioning really normal. You don't feel that, um, but when you're under 200, you have to be careful of not um, getting sick. But I felt really good. Like I couldn't, I mean, I had been sick for about two months, and I'd say, yeah, it took about five weeks to get back to normal. Just quickly to explain to the listeners who are maybe not aware of all these terms, undetectable means that you basically cannot transmit the virus, although it is inside your body. Yes, and that goes for anybody. I mean, as I say, women already, it's very difficult even with a viral load to transmit it. But um, now I'm like 100% certain that there's never a concern at all. And that goes for men to men. That goes for, I mean, I don't know how graphic I can be on your podcast. Do you want you a, can be some deep? Okay, so, so anal sex without condoms, there can be tears, there can be semen, there can be blood, and there will be zero transmission when that person is undetectable. So um, it's incredibly safe. It's been um, proven through a gazillion studies. They've always known that when viral loads were lower, that the transmissions also decreased. So this just confirmed it with these studies that when a viral load is undetectable, there is zero chance of transmission. It's just, I mean, and it, you can't ever say zero in science. I mean, there's a chance my head might blow up, right? That's that's the that's the probability of it. It really is 
like no risk. So, you know, my husband and I don't have any concerns, but there's people, it's a, it's a hard thing to wrap your brain around. Uh, not for me because we were already put to the test before we even knew we were being tested. Cause I didn't know I had it and we'd been together for a year. So for us, it was an easy thing to understand and go, okay, now there's no risk at all. We don't even have to worry, but there's a lot of people out there that, um, they just can't believe it. I mean, these are people that are HIV positive and they're still terrified that they're going to pass it on to their partner, even though they are undetectable. So it's, um, it's, yeah, it's a, it's a hard thing for people to wrap their brain around. And of course, people that are HIV negative have a very hard time believing it and they won't want to take the risk because they just can't believe that this is possible. But it, it really is. It's amazing. With the existing medicine, it is possible to reduce the virus to the very, very minimum. But is it the case to everyone or some people cannot do that because of their immune system? Basically, if you're taking your medication as prescribed every 24 hours, um, there's something called drug pressure and the medication will bring the virus down to an undetectable level. I haven't seen, I mean, if anybody has trouble getting to an undetectable viral load, which just doesn't see, it's not that common. Um, they would just switch medication. There's there's so many different options for medication and they, the doctors would just make, make sure that there's just something that works. So we get our blood checked every three months, four months, six months, depending on you know what your doctor recommends. I usually get mine checked every three months. And that way they're always checking to see that your blood is, you know, that it's still working properly. And it would be rare. There's something called the blip um, that if, you know, for some reason your viral load went up a little bit, um, that they would catch that within those three months and then they'd, they'd watch it, you know, and typically with a blip, um, by the way, blips never translate into a transmission. They never have. In all the studies, there was never a blip that translated into a transmission, if that makes sense. So blips sometimes happen with medication. Um, I've had it happen to me, but it was explained because I had um, gone to Mexico and I had uh, something from the water, obviously. And I, so I had a bout of diarrhea for like 10 days. So when I would take my pill and of course I was having diarrhea all the time, the, it kind of flushed out of me. So basically during that time, my medication wasn't working as properly as it should because it wasn't um, being consumed all the way. And so I had a little bit of a blip. My viral load went up to like 186 or something. Um, and it was nothing to be concerned about it. You know, it all went away. And as soon as I felt better and my medication was being absorbed properly again, um, and that would have never been a fear for a transmission. And, you know, I know with, with, uh, U equals U, the government says anything like 200 and below as far as a viral load is safe and you'll never transmit when you're 200 below, but that's, that's the government. And it's a very conservative number. We know in actuality, it could probably be as high as 2000 and it still wouldn't transmit. So it's 200 is extremely conservative, but they have to do that because it's the government and we want to make sure that, you know what I mean, if that makes sense. But we know that it's actually a number is quite higher. So a blip wouldn't affect anything. Thanks to this advancement in medicine, HIV does not longer look as a big threat. However, the stigma around this virus still exists. Why do you think so many people have negative views around this virus? It is unreal to me, but it's just based on 
you know, from where it all began, the origin of HIV, it began with obviously gay men. Everybody remembers that in the history of HIV. And it was so it was always associated with gay men, um, which, you know, and there's a people have a problem with that. So it's always been that or drug use, obviously, and everybody knows it can come from needle exchanges also. Um, so the stigma from that has just been passed on. I, it's interesting to me. Sometimes I, I'll, I, you know, I substitute teach and I'll, I'll talk to the kids about it. You know, if I teach PE and I'll have a, t a moment where I can talk to the kids and it's, you know, um, I just have a free moment to explain to them what it is because they find out about my social media and they said, why do you have a YouTube channel? And I'll say, well, because I have HIV and, you know, I'll ask them, do you guys know what HIV is? And, uh, you know, many times they'll be like, they don't know what it is, but they don't understand that there's a stigma. So I get both. Sometimes I get like they have no clue or I'll get the, oh, you've got that. And it's like, OK, that's interesting. Where did you get that? Where did you get that from? Like, where do you get that fear from? So I, it just has to be passed on through generations and probably, you know, no help from the media at all. And as far as turning stigma around, um, but I mean, I grew up in the 80s. I was a teenager during the AIDS epidemic. So, of course, I I lived through it, through the media. And so I always had those impressions and that feeling from it. And if I had never contracted HIV, I may very well have passed on those negative feelings towards to my kids. And, and then in turn, they would have been like, oh, that's a bad thing. You know, I mean, I could have easily said, oh, yeah, HIV is like junkies have it and gay guys have it. You know, I could have easily have used that to my kids if I had never trans, you know, if I had never contracted it. But of course, then I get it and it makes me think of it completely differently. And yeah, I do. I live a completely normal life. Write a review and then you can share it with the world in any social media platform. And then your friends see it and you can share and discover new shows together. This is Steph, instigator of Pod Rev Day Podcast Review Day. And I'm Andy from Inspired Money. And I'm Arielle of Earbuds Podcast Collective and Castbox. We're here to tell you everything you need to know about Pod Rev Day, which is on the eighth of every month of every year of every century of every you get it. We are posting podcast reviews as part of hashtag Pod Rev Day Podcast Review Day because podcasters work their butts off and deserve to know how much they've impacted your lives, and you can do that through reviews. Even one star feels surprisingly <laughs> good. Does it? It lets you know that people are at least listening. Don't be a passive podcast listener. Write a review and tell your favorite creator what you love about their podcast or about a specific episode. And to participate, you just need to do one review. And we'll see you every eighth of the month. Pod Rev Day. Because podcasters deserve to hear it. Hashtag Pod Rev Day. P-O-D-R-E-V-D-A-Y. take the opportunity to invite you to rate and write a review for the I Bounce Back podcast. It is available on all major podcasting platforms, including Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Or you can always listen to our podcast or read the latest blog post on the I Bounce Back podcast webpage, ibounceback.net. It has been around 40 years since the world has learned about the outbreak of HIV and AIDS. 
Since the start of this epidemic, more than 75 million people have been infected with HIV and more than 30 million have lost their lives due to AIDS-related illnesses. Thanks to the advancement in treatment, today the lifespan of person living with HIV is approximately the same as someone not living with HIV. That was impossible in the early days of the epidemic. However, the stigma around this virus is still prominent, as well as many myths and stereotypes. Perhaps because of this reason, when Jennifer was diagnosed with HIV, she felt the need to share her story on social media. At one point, um, I decided, well, I, of course, I checked with everybody in my circles, my boyfriend at the time and um, my kids and my family and said, would you guys mind if I explain to everybody exactly what happened to me? Because again, I think it's so shocking and I just think people should know that this is still, this could happen. Um, even though what happened to me is very rare, I was only one of 1,200 uh, Caucasian women in the United States diagnosed diagnosed in 2016. So that just tells you right there. I mean, there's 300 million people that live in the U.S. So it was very, very uncommon. But I still felt that it should be talked about. And I thought I learned so much in, in that time before I put the Facebook post out about viral loads and undetectable and CD4 counts. And it's like this was stuff that I had no clue about. And it was so... Um, also sort of interesting to me and I thought I wanted to educate people on what it all was and I thought you know I know all these people I went to high school with they're all aware of the AIDS epidemic because we all lived through it together when we were in high school but I bet they don't know anything about what HIV really is and I didn't so I thought I want to talk about it and everybody was okay with it so I put a post on Facebook and um, it was a very scary to hit post. I remember like shaking, like going to like, think this is, I'm going to do it. I, I wrote this really, you know, detailed post. I had some pictures of um, when I was sick and my, you know, when I felt better and, and the response was overwhelmingly positive. It was amazing. And I sat there for five hours responding to people's questions. And of course it's Facebook and everybody knows you. So everybody is going to be nice. Um, but it gave me the, the idea and, the strength basically to move forward about five months later and do a fully explained YouTube video. Welcome to my channel. My name is Jennifer and I'm HIV positive. In 2016, I, was I needed something that I could do a um, 30 minute platform. And the only way I could do that is through YouTube. Something I was noticing more and more that people were doing this and um, I just thought I could do that. I could I could talk into my phone and explain exactly what happened and tell my story. And maybe there's some woman out there that has what I have and they feel super alone and they don't know anybody else like themselves. And maybe they'll find me and we can connect. That was one of my thoughts. And because I didn't know any other women woman at the time when I was diagnosed, it it took until Did I put my YouTube video out. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Her name's Catherine. She lives in South Africa, and I call her my first wife. So she was the first one to reach out to me. She um, was in South Africa and in a hospital with tuberculosis and HIV, and she has no idea who she got it from. She was really, really sick, and she just decided to put on YouTube and you know search, and it was about I think about two months after I put my video out, maybe around six weeks. And she wrote to me and I just remember crying and like we we're writing back and forth. And like she was we understood each other immediately. And so 
um, from there moving forward, of course, I had men that were reaching out to me that were HIV positive and were thankful that I'd spoken about it. But I had little trickles of women here and there that would reach out to me, one from Uganda, one from the US. I'm like, oh my gosh, with these, there are women out there like me. And so um, they were writing to me and I'd have this like communication with these women. And of course, you want to talk about it because you feel like you're the only person. You feel like no one else out there understands what you're going through. And so I eventually um, asked these women if they, because it was getting overwhelming to me because I was writing so much back and forth to every single one of them. I had about 12 at one point um, from all over the place. And um, I said, would you guys like to be in a Facebook group? We can make it totally private. And then that way you guys can um, communicate together. And then, because I, I think you guys might all want to know each other, right? And even though we're all incredibly, well, they were all very private about their status. I was the only one that was public about it. And, um, and they all said yes. And I connected them. And um, I, I've told this story many times, but I remember being in my kitchen and just falling to my knees and crying because they were all talking to each other. And it was like, they were all these women that I had all known, you know, through, you know, writing back and forth had become like my friends. Now they were all talking and they were, they were all, you know, getting to have this, this, you know, comfort of knowing there's another woman, another woman, another woman. And so that group um, is on Facebook. It's a private group that nobody can find. Only I can add women to it. And right now it has 230 women from all over the world. And I'm really, really proud of it. That's so cool. And on your YouTube channel, what kind of questions do you receive? Who are these people? Are they infected with HIV? Or are they just interested in knowing more about the virus? Um, I get all kinds. I get like people that are a lot of HIV anxiety. So people that have tested many times, people that are in very low risk situations, but they still think like, you know, they've used a condom or a lot of people who have um, gone to a sex worker, they're always concerned. Um, lots of questions about HIV anxiety and testing periods. Everybody wants to know testing periods. Is it going to show up after three months? That's really common. Um, a lot of people ask about the cost of medication. They're, you know, concerned that this would be so expensive that they would not be able to continue with their normal life. Um, I will tell you that my medication is free. There's programs available in the U.S. Um, I've, no one ever pays out of pocket the full price that the insurance would charge. That's just not a thing. Um, most countries have socialized medicine, and so um, their medication is free. Uh, but that doesn't mean there isn't some times where it's difficult to get it. There's people in the U.S. that even might have a hard time if they live geographically in a very like far away area from where they can get their medicine. It might be a difficult you know journey to get to their medicine once a month to go pick it up. So there's situations like that. But I, of course, I get people that are terrible and they are able to say whatever they want because it's the Internet and they're hiding behind their keyboard and they'll say really awful things to me like I should die or you know, wish you would die, wish you would shut up and start ta stop talking about this. You're disgusting. You know, you deserve this. You did something wrong. Um, and, you know, I, what it was is I had been with a boyfriend in the past. I mean, he was it was a relationship and um, he didn't know he had it and I got it from him. And um, so but it's interesting that when I share my story that there are people that will attack you for for doing that. And so that happens all but typically it's just interest in like, you know, how do you feel? Do you ever feel sick? And I don't, and you know, what's the medication like, does it make you feel sick? Um, stuff like that. So I do, I usually do videos just to answer all those questions. So people kind of be aware. You have mentioned that you receive negative comments online, but I think it's quite 
common in general to receive criticism and negative nasty comments online. Um, but what about your daily life? Do you face any discrimination or prejudices? I think you have mentioned somewhere that you were afraid to be fired from uh, your work. Yeah, there's many. Uh, I work for the school district. I'm a substitute teacher and it has never affected my job at all. In fact, I've I've been, I've been given more jobs since, I mean, it's just because I've been working for the school district, but, um, not everybody knows either, but, um, I've, you know, I work for an after school program now and I'm sort of a supervisor there. So it's like, uh, things that I never thought would have been possible have, have happened and it's, it's been no problem at all, but that isn't always the case. There are people that lose their jobs. It's, and they'll find other ways to get rid of the person you know, thinking that they are somehow going to transmit this to people. So um, for me, I'm lucky. I've had like really nothing has happened in my personal life that where I've had discrimination, but it is definitely um, something that can happen to people. I, I mean, I know people that have lost jobs. I, of course, people that have family members that won't speak to them anymore or allow them in their house, stuff like that. But I haven't had... Um, I haven't had that happen to me. Um, the only thing that happens to me, which is, uh, it's not discrimination. It's just people not understanding is like, uh, for a good example is the uh, COVID virus, like people being super concerned about me, um, getting this and that I'm going to succumb to it and die, you know, because they think I have HIV. So automatically my immune system is, you know, compromised and I'm going to, I'm going to be really sick and it's, I have to be like, they, put me in a category of a 90 year old. And that's not at all what the case is. My immune system works fine. Um, even the CDC has said that people that are undetectable and have um, a good CD4 count that they are in no different shape than any other person without HIV. So um, that to me is just like one of those like, I wish people would understand that I'm not sick. I'm fine. Um, but that's the most I don't have anybody. Um, I've never had anybody in my personal life say anything to me. But of course, I know a lot of people that have had that experience in their personal lives, and it's it's really traumatic and awful. Your advocacy work is not only based on social media. You also work with certain projects. How did you become involved into offline, let's say, advocacy, and what kind of projects you are working for? Um, well, when I was diagnosed in 2016, February 2016, the month before, Bruce Richmond, who is the CEO, he runs the U Equals U campaign. He was actually coming up with the mission statement for U Equals U. So it's interesting, the timeline of when U Equals U was going to be out in social media and spoken about. So um, it was literally happening like at the same time as my diagnosis. So what happened was, is by the time December rolled around, we're like, you know, 10 months later, U Equals U was starting to get some buzz on the internet. And somebody had contacted me and said, because uh, they'd seen my videos and they saw that I was kind of getting some presence out there. And she said, you need to connect with this Bruce Richmond. He's got this campaign going about U equals U. And I think like he might be wanting somebody, you know, your demographic, you're a, I'm, I'm not a gay man. I'm, I'm reaching a different, broader audience because I'm a heterosexual woman and a Caucasian woman even. I mean, I'm, I'm more uncommon. And so I would be probably, uh, more of a shock to people. People would be more like, oh, what? She's got, you know what I mean? So I knew, and I've always known that. I know that like the fact that I'm a Caucasian woman um, will make people maybe 
listen more because I'm not what they expect, right? So uh, we got in touch, Bruce and I got in touch, and um, that was sort of the beginning of it. By the following September, which was over a year past my diagnosis, um, I was going to, I went to Washington, D.C. to USCA, that's the U.S. Conference on AIDS, and um, that was the first time that I, uh, Bruce said, you've got to come, you've got to be there, you have to meet all these people. He introduced me to like so many people in the world of HIV advocacy, and um, that was the beginning of it, and then he brought me to Amsterdam to AIDS 2018, and I was a social scholar, I was one of eight people that were asked to come and basically report from um, AIDS 2018 in Amsterdam, like on our phones, we were trying to interview people and, you know, show, show the conference through our phones. And so we were sort of like reporters. And then I went to another USCA, um, that same year. And, um, that was pretty much it. And I'm also on the board for, um, so there's the ADAP program, which is, um, the AIDS drug assistance program. They have an advocacy association and I'm on the board for that, the board of directors. I don't really even know what that means. We don't actually meet up in person, but I've been asked to be on it. So there's about, I think like 15 of us. And so I'm on that and like, I'm included in meetings and they asked me to, you know, can you please put this on your social media, let people know about this. And so, um, I try to help them out as well. And so, um, yeah, I've, those are the some of the things that have come to me since I've um, put my face out there on YouTube. I think HIV advocacy is so important, and it's obvious there are still so many myths around it. And I still want to touch upon this advancement in medicine. Many people are still not aware about it. And you've mentioned that you live a regular, normal life and you do not feel any difference. I imagine your situation would have been different if you were infected, let's say, 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yep. Oh, yeah. My dad told me, she said, if this had been um, 10 to 15 years ago, by the time you were diagnosed, because you have already been so sick and your CD4 count was so low, she was, we probably would have given you about two months to live. You probably wouldn't have survived this. And so... Um, to know that this happened to me in a day and age where the medication is so good was, uh, of course, I'm incredibly grateful. I mean, I that was another reason that I've, it's been so easy to talk about it for me because I got to live. You know, I didn't die from this. And uh, not only did I get to live, I get to live a completely normal life. I don't feel sick at all. I feel exactly like I used to. Like, I didn't. No, nothing's different to me. So I just take a pill a day. Um, for me, that's how it is. And um, so... Yeah, it just, um, the advancements in medication are incredible. And, you know, they're only getting better. I mean, they, they have, there's a new medication that just came out. I saw the commercial for it when I was, when our gyms were open. Of course, they're not right now, but I remember running on the treadmill like two months ago and seeing a commercial for a new drug that was out for HIV. And I thought, wow, look at that. Like, it's right here at the gym. They're like, there's a commercial for an HIV medication. Like, so it's, I like that in that it, hopefully helps stigma that more people see that there's, you know, medications that are shown on TV and, um, and those medications are typically, um, they all do the same thing there. It's, it's, I, and I never know really how to explain how the medication works, but they've got it down to a science. It's not that complicated. It basically, we take three drugs and every single one of the drugs stops the replication of the virus. If it doesn't get it at the first stage, it gets it at the second. If it doesn't get it at the third, it gets it at the second. It gets it at the third. It's just, a, it's like a sure 
fire thing. It's going to always happen. And so it, it does the job. I mean, it definitely suppresses the virus and it stops it from replicating. The new medications that come out basically are based on, they still do the same things, but they might have less side effects. And that's typically what everyone wants is like little to no side effects. So throughout the years, it's, it's obvious you learned so much about HIV and you share your knowledge. How would you say how this experience have changed you as a person if you were to compare yourself before being diagnosed with HIV and today? Um, I think it's, well, it's, of course, it's made me stronger. I feel like I was already a strong person. I've gone through a lot of things in my life. I was shot in a bank robbery when I was in college and survived that. Um, I've went through a divorce, lived with an alcoholic for 10 years. Um, you know, I was a divor divorcee with three small kids and had to figure out how to go back to work with three little kids. Very hard things that I've already been through. So I think like in general, I was already a, a strong person, but this one knocked me down. There's no doubt about it. So to be able to come from, come back from that and to turn that into something, um, good is as far as being open about it and advocating and, um, has just made me stronger, but it's also um, made me maybe more empathetic and compassionate for people and understanding um, people from all different walks of life and what their struggles might be, because otherwise I would have never known. You know, I'm, I get to like be in contact with people that I never would have normally been in contact with, obviously now because of this. And, um, and it brings you together because you're regardless of where you came from or how you were raised or any of the color of your skin, we all have the same virus. It's exactly the same. So we're all connected in that way. So that's like this kind of amazing feeling. And, um, I'm really, I'm really lucky, honestly, that this happened to me. It's, it's, um, brought me things to my life that I would have never other otherwise experienced. Well, you went through a lot and you learned a lot of new things. What kind of advice would you give to people who are, maybe struggling emotionally because it's not easy to accept that you would live with HIV for the rest of your life because, of course, stigma does not help either. Yeah, I would absolutely suggest that anybody that's having difficulty to get in contact with a support group, there's a lot of online support and um, there's Facebook groups and you can go to, you know, just look up HIV on the internet and look for different websites And you can find um, forums in there. It's so helpful to speak to other people that understand you and have it also and are going through the same thing. Um, I can't imagine going through life with HIV and not knowing another person that has it. I can't even imagine how difficult that would be mentally to keep that secret or just to not have somebody else uh, to like, you know, run things by and say, how do you feel about that? I mean, it is it means everything to like, just know somebody else who has it and to be able to talk to them about it. So to me, like, that's the number one, you've got to have support of people that get what you're, you know, what you're going through and where you're coming from. Thank you to Jennifer Wan for sharing her HIV story, which inspired her to keep fighting against HIV stigma and to raise awareness about the virus. And for the very end, as I do for almost every show, I have asked Jennifer to complete a few sentences. My journey with HIV has taught me? Um, it's taught me strength and compassion. 
To people who have prejudices about HIV, I would like to say. I would like to say that this is just a virus. It's very human to have a virus and it's a controllable virus and there's absolutely no reason to have stigma about it. It's not contagious in any way. It's sexually transmitted or through needles and we are normal people just like you. My next big challenge is? Mm. Um. Well, my next big challenge is my book I'm writing. I'm uh, here stuck in a pandemic pandemic in my room and I'm um, writing my book. I'm writing about my story. So that is an absolutely huge challenge and um, I'm hoping to have a good, good um, amount of it done before I'm able to go back to work. We'll see how that goes. Fingers crossed. Yes. <laughs> Check out ibonsback.net where you can find a blog post about Jennifer and more information about her. And in two weeks, don't forget to tune in to listen to another inspiring story. I was constantly cold. I used to have to have two, three showers a day. And everyone was like, that's weird. You've got to go to the doctor about that. And I did that. And the doctor's advice was, have you thought about moving somewhere a little bit warmer? And that's that's not doctor bashing. It's just because neither he nor I realised that I was that was a sign of the anorexia. The new episode will be ready on August 12th. I'll talk to you then. Stay safe. Bye.